Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And isn't it great to see uh, a forecast that says uh, a bit of, of good sunshine developing throughout the day. There's nothing like a little bit of winter uh, sunshine, even though I was reading uh, today that the last seven years were the hottest on records. But unfortunately, carbon and methane emissions are driving the rise in our temperatures. Europe's 10 warmest years all occurred since the year 2000 and the seventh seventh warmest were between 2014 and 2020 and actually last year 2021 Europeans summer was the warmest on uh, record and of course as we all know we've had a very mild winter this year and because of the mild winter there's a gorgeous picture in the examiner today of early flowering daffodils. It, they're in full bloom. It was taken at a jaunting cart stand in the centre of Killarney Town and there's this lovely picture of a little two-year-old boy Moss Shannon and his dad Liam getting up very close and personal and taking a look at the daffodils while out for a walk and I have to say I haven't spotted an early flowering daffodil yet but obviously with the very mild winter we've had we're going to start seeing a lot of daffodils. Have you any daffodils flowering in your garden uh, yet? Daffodils are by far my favourite flower and I love uh, to see them absolutely love to see them and I love when you're on drives and uh, some of the councils will have them you know and tidy towns committees will have been out planting loads of bulbs around September and October and they'll be in full bloom in the next number of weeks which is always terrific uh, to see. John Paul taking your calls this morning at 0818 103 103 texts and whatsapps are up and running and already texts coming into 086 103 103 and I want to go back to yesterday for a moment because we had a call in, I think Liz uh, contacted us and we had a couple of calls in about this last week as well and it is to do with people who like to forward play their lotto numbers and Liz was on to say that she was in her local town at the weekend, went to do the lotto for Saturday night but always does the two together so she plays She's obviously playing the same numbers she plays for Saturday and for Wednesday. And when she went to the machine and when she went to do it, she was told, sorry, no, you can only get your lottery tickets for Saturday night. If you want to get Wednesdays, you're going to have to come back out again after Saturday and get Wednesdays. You can't do the forward draws anymore. And she said she got chatting to people outside the shop. And she said there was a number of people who were very, very disappointed uh, about it. And as I say, we did have some calls in last week about it as well. And I gave an explanation last week, but what we decided to do was we got 
got onto the lotto uh, yesterday just to get the official explanation from them and as I as I mentioned and said last week it is to do with the fact that they have this rollover jackpot of 19 million euro and the National Lottery are hoping to hold this what they call a will be one lotto event that will guarantee on one particular night be it a Saturday or a Wednesday that the record breaking 19.6 million euro jackpot will be won however they need to make amendments to the lotto game rules they're waiting on approval from the regulator for the National Lottery they applied to the regulator back on the 6th of December but they haven't they haven't got back to them yet so it's an ongoing uh, process and they will be in a position to provide further details on any will be one lotto event in due course once the regulator gets back to them, gives them the nod and says that they can do it. So therefore, ahead of that will be one event, they've had to limit advance play to ensure that they're ready to be able to do the will be one event if the rules are changed to allow it. They, so they started limiting the advance play availability on lotto games and they started doing it actually from the 15th of December because up to the 15th of December you were able to do eight draw advances you were able to play that many in advance so they started scaling back on uh, that and then following the lotto draw on Wednesday night just gone last Wednesday at uh, the 5th of January advanced play has been now fully withdrawn and it'll continue to be until that jackpot has been won so for people who, who uh, were disappointed and wondering what was going on it's going to remain in place but once the the will be one draw is done I'm imagining they'll bring back some advanced plays but we'll have to wait but for now if you're playing lotto you can only do the lotto for either Saturday night and then you're going to have to wait from Sunday morning then the tickets will be on sale for the Wednesday night uh, draw and I'm glad to clarify that and then Margaret was on to us by email to patricia at c103.ie and this is to do with the Gen Ryu antigen tests you know the ones that the regulator is looking into because it was giving so many false uh, positives and Margaret was very disappointed because she said her she went back to her local supermarket with the antigen tests of this particular brand that she has purchased to be told that she can only get a refund with a receipt. Now she says in her her email, I thought as it was a product recall that no receipt would be needed. I had seven unopened antigen tests but unfortunately I only had receipts for three which I paid for with my debit card so they'd only refund me for the three where I could produce a receipt. Do you know if anybody else has the same issue? Uh, Yes everybody else Margaret has the same issue and the reason for it is you're mistaken in your belief that it was a product recall. It wasn't. The health regulatory have asked the shops that were selling it and the supermarkets that were selling it to do a voluntary recall and not a voluntary recall to to do a voluntary removal of the antigen tests from their shelves and I know Lidl who were selling them did it and I know Dunn Stores did it now there were other supermarkets and other smaller shops had them as well but it was a voluntary removal of the antigen tests from the shelves now any of the leading supermarkets if you have a receipt for any product you can get a refund uh, you can exchange it for something else but they won't do it unless you have the receipt if the health regulatory Project Regulator comes back and says that there is to be a recall 
at that point you'll be able to bring back your antigen tests without a receipt. So I wouldn't be dumping the antigen test that you have without the, without the receipts. Hang on and we'll wait and see if there is an actual total recall. But as of now, it is just a voluntary removal of the antigen tests from the shelves and hence for that reason you're not going to be entitled to your money back which is disappointing and very annoying and I know last week we had other people we had one listener who had 10 of them that she just put in with her shopping and who keeps the receipts from your weekly shop most people don't and uh, she's stuck with uh, 10 of them 0818103103 isn't it incredible to hear in what has been deemed a medical first US doctors have transplanted a pig's heart into a patient. Now it has been done in a last ditch attempt to save this gentleman's life. It's a Maryland hospital. They've said that the patient so far is doing well and this is three days after what is and they're accepting it is a highly experimental surgery. While it's still too soon to know if the operation really will work, it does mark a step in the decades long quest to one day use animal organs for life-saving transplants. It's doctors at the University of Maryland Medical Centre. They say that the transplant showed that a heart from a genetically modified animal can function in the human body without immediate rejection. The patient is a 57-year-old man by the name of David Bennett. Now, he knew at the time of the operation three days ago that there was no guarantee that this experiment would work, but he was dying. He unfortunately was ineligible for a human heart transplant. So this man felt, look, I've got no other option. He, he said on the, the day before the operation, he said it was either die or do this transplant. He said, I want to live. He said, I know it's a shot in the dark, but this really is my last chance. And we know that there is a huge shortage of human organs. And this is a worldwide shortage donated for a transplant. And that's driving scientists to try to figure out if it's possible, and how could you use an animal organ instead? And the one of the doctors involved says, if this works, there will then be an endless supply of organs for patients. And the scientific director of the university's animal to human transplant uh, programme said that prior attempts at such a transplant, by the way, it's known as Zeno transplantation. Prior attempts have failed and it was largely because patients' bodies rapidly reject the animal organ. Now seemingly back in 1984 there was a little baby, she was just known as Baby Faye. She was an infant who was dying and she actually at the time lived for 21 days and she had been transplanted with a baboon's heart again for the family. It was the last ditch attempt at trying to give this baby life. But the difference this time between 1984 and what happened this week is that the Maryland surgeons used the heart from a pig that had undergone gene editing to remove a sugar in its cells that is responsible for the hyperfast organ rejection and the team said it's only a first tentative step into exploring whether this time round 
xenotransplantation might finally work. And the Food and Drug Administration in the States allowed the surgery under what they called a compassionate use emergency authorization. And the surgery took seven hours at the Baltimore Hospital. So we wish that man, David Bennett, all the very best of luck. As I say, it's still very early. It's only three days after the operation. But we'll keep a close eye on any update on that story. 0818-103-103. And if it does work, it'll be what a medical breakthrough it will be. Now, an increasing number of Leaving Cert students are seeking treatment for anxiety. And it's it seems it's down to the format of this year's exams. And a GP from Waterford is speaking out, a GP by the name of Penny Nolan. She said she's seen many more present, presentations of young people. Now, she's saying it's girls in particular. Since the Department of Education announced that the Leaving Cert would return to its exam-only format this summer. According to Dr Nolan, some teenage girls are presenting with issues including restricted eating patterns. Wouldn't that absolutely frighten the life out of you? She said it's very concerning. She said this particular age group are very vulnerable uh, cohort. She said sometimes their coping strategies are towards the self-harm route and she said that's worrying her because we all know how harmful eating disorders are for young people and the danger is that if they develop an eating disorder they could carry that eating disorder with them for the rest of their lives. Dr Nolan said she She'd noticed feelings of disillusionment and hopelessness among te- teenage uh, patients. She's based in Tremor in County Waterford and she said that Leaving Cert students who previously had dreamed of being doctors or nurses or accountants, these very same Leaving Cert students are now worried that they're not going to be able to achieve the points needed for the courses and that's due to grade inflation. Dr Nolan has argued that this year's students are really facing obstacles which have never been experienced by any other exam year. And she said this year's Leaving Cert class are very worried that the students who received, remember the inflated grades that came out last summer after the hybrid exams were run. Some of those students decided to defer and the pro- the problem now is that they have these very, very high grades and they'll be up against, or the Leaving Cert class of this year will be up against those students who got those inflated grades for, from uh, 2021 and therefore some of the Leaving Cert class of this year feel that they simply don't stand a chance. And she said to ad- address the growing level of anxiety among students, Dr Nolan feels that the Department of Education should reintroduce the hybrid exam model of written exams and calculated grades. And she said for as long as education has been delivered in what she says is an untraditional manner. And it's funny, I remember when the results came out last summer, I remember actually saying that on air. I straight away had concerns about students from the class of 2021 deferred and many of them deferred because they were unsure of what university life was going to be like because of the pandemic and many of them decided well I'll push it back for a year and I've got very high points so I know I'm going to be okay for next year but I remember saying at the time this is a big big concern for the Leaving Cert class of uh, 2020 and the teachers unions they are saying a traditional Leaving Cert must go ahead uh, this year. Um, Some of our own Cork students though say they would very much like a hybrid model where you can sit the exams alongside the calculated grades. So our own news reporter, Mairead Tui, spoke to some sixth year students at Kaloshta Eamon Reish yesterday to get their thoughts. Adam Murphy, I think it, the choice would be important because there are students that will find it better either way and I think 
on the one hand, it's more to sit the exam, but also six years of work, or three years rather, coming down to one day, I think anyway, regardless of pandemic is, is a bit strange, but I think having the choice for people is, is important, especially what's happened over the last two years, having people's opinion on what the accredited grades were like, some people found it good. So I think it should be it should be a choice, definitely. And I since leaving there kind of starts maybe fourth year, but definitely fifth and sixth year, and all that time we've had the pandemic, so it's been disruption the whole time. It hasn't been a normal school year, so that must have been really tough. Yeah, it, it was. I, I think the first time we did the online learning, it was very tough. It was, you know, you're getting up at you know, half seven, eight o'clock, and then looking at a screen for six hours since you wake up, and that's not really healthy. But... Um, I, I, I personally I'm used to it by now but I don't know about anyone else and it has been very stressful for students and are you noticing now that uh, you know people are out teachers are out and there's a lot of absences yeah we came back there was I believe Friday there was 197 people absent and that like that was unheard of we came into school there was five people in our year and that was unheard of uh, Gareth what? I would like it to be like a hybrid one like last year where you could sit the exam so you can actually get the best options of both and then the current grade and then take the best. And is that what you do if you had the option that you'd pick some that you would sit and you'd say with others you take the accredited grade? Yeah, I'll sit all of it then uh, I'll take the best option between like which one I got the highest results and all that. Do you think it's unfair that you still don't know now you're in January and it's not far from June that there's still that uncertainty whether that could be an option? Yeah, it's very anxious and worrying to find out what's going to happen and then like what subjects to actually focus more about and all that. And do you think that by schools being open that a lot of students are missing out because if they are, they are forced to stay at home, they don't get to do the online learning then either. So do you think that maybe it was the right thing to open schools last Thursday? Uh, no, I don't think it would have been the best decision as a lot of uh, students were like over Christmas probably with family and all that. And then now they have to come back to school where there's more of a chance to get infected and all because of the buses and then all of that. So now I believe it would have been best if everybody just stayed at home for like probably until end of February or so. Camus plan. Yeah, I like there to be like a hybrid because there are some things where you don't really have enough time to put a lot of work in. And after like um, the work you give to the teachers, you know, that's you miss out on a lot of that recently. And are you noticing a lot of absences between, I suppose, teachers and students? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, three of my teachers were out, and uh, a lot of the other uh, students in my class were also out. Yeah, ever since COVID, you got, like, a whole, like, different mindset about school, because you're always worrying about um, if it'll come to me, or uh, what if I miss out all this, all this um, work, and you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, but that was thank you that was Marage talking with I was just listening to the noise in the background going on in the school uh, that was uh, some of the sixth year students at uh, Kaloshta Eamon uh, Reish uh, yesterday uh, somebody said do parents notice that their children are not doing their homework it's no wonder they're shouting for the easy way of grades cop on says a listener who very much wants the old traditional way of doing the leaving cert which by the way is what the teachers unions are going for as well but you would worry when you hear that GP saying the amount of young girls uh, presenting and some of them presenting with eating uh, disorders somebody said Patricia problems with eating disorders are going on for years my daughter who's 45 now when she was 17 she developed an eating disorder there was no help back then and a lot of people will say to you there's still no help uh, 
uh, today. Now the Taoiseach, thank you for your WhatsApps to 0862103103. The Taoiseach Micheál Martin was also asked about the Leaving Cert and the class of 2020 yesterday. In regards to the Leaving Certificate, accommodations have already been made in respect of the papers following consultation between the Minister for Education and the advisory group that has been established, which is made up of uh, all the various stakeholders in education, from students um, to parents to the unions to the managerial bodies. Um, And that's kept under uh, constant review. Um, And obviously there are challenges in education at the moment in terms of the Omicron, not quite like last year where we had to close the uh, schools for a considerable period of time. Um, it's it's complex enough area um, in in, in terms of the the challenges that that represents but accommodations have already been made in terms of the papers uh, and and how they'll be structured uh, and and the, the broader issue then will be kept under review. Okay, well, it's good to hear it's been kept under review, but it does look like the papers have been uh, set and uh, actually while uh, Micheál Martin was available to us he was asked about whether he favoured a move to mandatory vaccination. Now, this was following reports that Neffet were exploring the matter of voluntary of mandatory vaccinations. We know in some European countries they have introduced, I think it's in Austria, for example, they've introduced that everybody over 50 must get a COVID-19 vaccine. So Neffet have decided to look at exploring it in this country. And would we introduce something similar or would we introduce mandatory vaccines for all? This is what Miguel Martin had to say. Neffet will examine every issue uh, so that it can give advice to government from time to time. I've been very clear that I favour the voluntary approach to vaccination and in fact we've done extraordinarily well as a country in terms of 94% um, uh, vaccination rate of the first and second dose and even 63% of the booster were top of the European League table, Union League table in terms of the booster campaign and I think that speaks volumes for informing the public about the benefits of vaccination and also the robust debate that has taken place with strong medical and public health contributions, not just those in officialdom, but those in in the academic world, those involved in the medicine world, who have been very, very clear about the value of vaccination. And if you look historically, the biggest game changer, or one of the biggest game changers in 20th century medicine, was the arrival of vaccination, whether it was TB, diphtheria, polio, measles, the list goes on. Uh, the extraordinary impact that vaccination had in eradicating those diseases. Uh, and likewise, in the context of COVID-19, it's very, very clear if you compare this year, this month, this year, to uh, this month last year, uh, there is no way we would be in level five last year at 20,000 cases a day. Uh, so vaccination is the big game changer here. And uh, so I favour the voluntary. I don't. I, I fully respect people who will obviously explore uh, all issues and uh, research them and so on. But... From my perspective, uh, we have achieved one of the highest rates in the world through a voluntary system, and that, that's uh, where, where we, we will be. You know, that, that's the system that we will maintain. On the healthcare, by the way, just to say that there's already practices in place, and the key issue there is that um, people who are not vaccinated, although there are very few, the vast, vast majority in the healthcare system are vaccinated, but that they would be uh, not in a patient-facing or uh, environment, or indeed posing any risk to vulnerable people. 
Yeah, and I can, I, I can never see us going going down a route of mandatory vaccination. I think it's Micheál Martin or Tishik said there, we have such a high percentage of people who are vaccinated. And I know the HSC CEO, Paul Reid, he also said he's not in favour of mandatory uh, vaccination. He says he prefers to encourage people. There are better ways of working with people's hearts and minds, but he's certainly not in favour of mandatory. And I mentioned Austria, who are one of the countries who are introducing, I think for Austria, they're introducing mandatory vaccine for those over 50. But what you have to bear in mind that one of the reasons why the Austrian government decided to do that, the decision was motivated by a very low vaccine uptake rate there. We certainly don't have the same situation here but we'll we'll await with interest to see what Neffet has to say when they explore they're only exploring the matter 0818-103-103 our lines are open Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie now, banning open fires at home and preventing and removing chimneys from houses may seem radical, but the move could make a huge difference in the overall health of the nation. That's according to one of the country's leading experts on air quality, Professor of Chemistry at UCC, and that is John Sado, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning to Good you, morning, John. Patricia. You're, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Can I just say you're not going to be very popular with some people here. Uh, would you advocate for a complete ban on the burning of any fuel? Uh, solid fuel, yes. Uh, it's, it, it's dangerous to health. It also, obviously, the other side of the coin, it has climate change implications. Burning any sort of carbon be it dead or alive, that's dead as fossil fuel, coal and whatever, or alive as biomass like wood, is, is damaging not only to our planet, but to ourselves and also to our neighbours. And what do you make of the Department of the Environment? They have a public awareness campaign. They call it the ABC for lighting fires. Yeah, I, it, it's well-meaning. I, I suppose the department has to do something. I don't agree with its premise. Uh, It it talks about, um, I think, A is ask yourself, do you need a fire? B, uh, buy a a smokeless form of of, of, uh, solid fuel, which there isn't any. Um, And uh, C, clean your chimneys. That is all based on the premise that, that, that burning solid fuel is in any way clean. It's not. Uh, We should be aiming with new thinking towards knocking that out of our court completely and fairly quickly. But not all homes have central heating. For some people, open fires may be their only source of heat. That is correct. Uh, uh, Two things there. Uh, One, uh, first of all, is to have an education programme to to let people know if you do uh, burn a solid fuel fire, and you've got either asthmatics or old or young people, including yourself, maybe, uh, you're doing damage to your cardio system, uh, your lungs, uh, maybe in, 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 in promoting dementia, uh, miscarriage, uh, diabetes. The list goes on and on. So if people know that and they, they still want to carry on doing that to themselves, then, then, then that's fine. The, the real problem is rather like the smoking ban of 2004 is is the secondhand smoke 
that is, it goes to your neighbours. If you've got a chimney, it goes to your neighbours. A wood stove, these new uh, middle class things, the, the, the flu, the flu burners uh, going up, go straight into the neighbours. Theirs comes into you as well. Uh, but if, if people in the first place have to have education that they that that's what they are doing to themselves. And then you have to move on to the second question is, what's the alternative? And the, the alternative, I mean, I, I've proposed uh, in, I think, an article that was, it was in the uh, examiner, uh, that we have a chimney tax. Go back to this half tax of the 17th century. In the 17th century, it was there just to raise money for the government. Now, I would say it has a real environmental purpose. And that is, if you, for every chimney, there's, there's quite a, a lot of payment to be made. That is used to help people in fuel poverty, to, to insulate their homes and, and, and to go to alternative sources. And we also have to think about doing things like district heating. We've got to think new, not old, like the Department of the Environment is doing. Has the ban on smoky coal helped? Uh, well, there isn't one. Uh, <laughs> for 15 years, uh, th 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 this has sort of been proposed because, in fact, a ban on smoky coal isn't a ban unless it's national because you can just go down the road. Uh, I mean, p particularly uh, in the western region, but perhaps uh, in, in uh, Cork County. I'm sure it's happening in McCroom, to be honest. Go down the road to buy some smoky coal and bring it back. There's no enforcement, uh, or, and there should be. I mean, it's part of the Air Pollution Act that, that the local councils have the right to to prosecute. Um, not only actually the, the 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 sellers, but also on the polluter pays principle, the burners too. So um, the, the the smoky coal ban, which is supposed to be coming fully after many many years of backwards and forwards in September, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. And let's see if it actually does happen. And do many people die in this country due to poor air quality every year? Yes. Uh, I mean, they calculate as premature death. So you die a lot earlier than, than you would have done. That, that, that number is, oh, it, 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 it's somewhere between 1,300 and, and 1,500 um, it may actually be more than that because it's only very recently in the last two or three years that the EPA has really stood up and, and, and started to monitor the air itself in lots more places around the country, including small towns. McCroom I mean, is the one that I know in, in a way the most, um, has, has only recently had its, its own air pollution monitoring, shows enormous quantities of, of, of these small toxic particulates that come out on most winter's evenings. And of course, new homes now are built without chimneys, but we're a long way from all homes not having one. That, that, that's right. I mean, new builds, in my view, should definitely, in all cases, it's not quite all cases that new builds and chimneys, there are some that still allow. I'd ban them all, and I would certainly ban, or not allow, planning permission to bash a hole through your wall and uh, put up a, a, a wood flute. Wood is more toxic than, than coal in many ways regarding small particulate matter coming out. It's dangerous. OK, and I can see from our listeners some texts coming in, John, uh, you're, you're not popular. There's a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people like their open fires. 
Yes, uh, and uh, you know, there is light. There's an emotional attachment. The crackling fire. I, I see it. I, I know it. Uh, do they know they're killing themselves? <laughs> on that positive, happy note, we leave it. <laughs> Listen, John. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, you've certainly Bye. given us food for thought uh, good morning to you that is uh, Professor John Soto who is Professor of Chemistry at UCC advocating for a total ban on open fires your thoughts welcomed to, 18, to 0818 103 103 that's our brand new number you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court Today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. National Suicide Research Foundation, which has launched the country's first ever national survey into suicide bereavement, has appealed to men affected by the issue to please make contact and take part in the survey. To find out more, I'm joined by Eve Griffin, who's a research fellow at the foundation. Good morning to you, Eve. Morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, you launched this survey back in October. Have men been slow to come forward to take part? Yes. So, yeah, we launched a survey back in October. It's Ireland's first survey of its kind, uh, where we're inviting anyone um, who's aged over the age of 18 um, who has been bereaved by suicide to consider taking part um, just to say, we've had a phenomenal response to date. We've had um, responses from more than 1,500 people so far, um, which, you know, in a couple of months is, 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 is great to see such engagement. Um, and I suppose um, we're moving into the last month of the survey. What we're kind of seeing now is that the majority of responses are coming from women, which, um, you know, to, to some degree makes sense because we have unfortunately a higher rate of suicide among men in Ireland. So uh, women in particularly will be more likely to lose a partner or um, to, to suicide, for example. Um, but we know that there are a lot of men out there who will be impacted by suicide, maybe through a family or friends um, or a colleague or, or, or another acquaintance. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's important uh, to point out. You're, you're mm-hmm. trying to reach out to people who've been touched by suicide. It doesn't necessarily have to be a direct family member. No, and you know we're we're trying to I suppose kind of shift the conversation with regards to this, um, and and open up what we mean by bereavement because obviously family members will be deeply impacted by suicide and and friends also, but we know that the impacts stretch much further than that, and um, almost these kind of ripple effects across different communities that the person would have been in contact with. So there's no right or wrong relationship or, you know, there's there's no, um, you know, it's quite individual. Um, and we, we could be impacted by um, a casual acquaintance or even, um, you know, maybe something that we've read about in the media, for example. Um, so, um, you know, it could be a friend, uh, a neighbour, uh, a patient, uh, a student or, or a colleague. Um, so we're, we're asking people to maybe think about um, their own lives and their own experiences and if, if they feel they have something to share to consider Please participating. Do. And for every death by suicide, Eve, roughly how many people do you believe are affected by that suicide? Yeah, so in Ireland there's about 500 suicides every year. Um, My God. More recent, yeah, you know, and I suppose we kind of need to think about the the you know the individual impacts behind each one of those numbers you know um more in recent years we kind of estimate that for every person who dies by suicide up to 135 people may be impacted by that single suicide so 
we have an estimate that every year in Ireland more than 60,000 people will be impacted by suicide. So maybe it's a huge number. Die by suicide. A... And we think in Ireland, I think it's, it's a, a particular situation because we have these kind of close connections and close communities, um, more so maybe than maybe in other countries. So, you know, I think this number might be higher in Ireland even. So, you know, um, so not everyone, but many of those people may require some support or additional services. Uh, uh, and we're quite good at kind of responding to the needs of family members, but we know that there's a gap out there um, for for other people who may be impacted and who may not be, you know, in contact with with support services in the aftermath of a suicide. And and that's one of the things we really want to tease out in this research is how best to um, develop and implement services and to make sure that supports are there and for people in, in the weeks, months and even years following um, a bereavement. Do you, do you think it's really important that the lived experience of the suicide bereaved are heard, their voices are heard? It's such an important point um, and it's, it's incredibly important to us. Um, we've been doing some research in this area over a couple of years, but this is the first time that we've asked people to share their experiences and we can't do this type of research in isolation. We can't design services and we can't put together interventions without asking people what they want. Um, uh, And so, you know, we try to design the study in a a confidential way. It's not an easy story to tell. Uh, We know for many people who are responding to the survey that this is the first time that they've been asked about their experiences, you know, which is staggering when you think about it. Um, so, you know, we've, we've put together the survey asking people um, to to tell us about their experiences in this kind of safe way, giving as much information as they feel comfortable with um, and, and to use that information then to think about the next steps um, and where we go from here. Um, so, you know, people's, um, people's in individual experiences and their own stories are so important. Absolutely. Uh, we're working Absolutely. And, and just say we're working with uh, a service hug who are uh, provide peer support groups for people bereaved by suicide. There are partners on this project, and even that collaboration, you know, with with um, hug who all have lived experience of suicide as well, and um, has been really um, invaluable. But, and it, you know, surveys like this is so important because the reports and recommendations that come out from a survey like this will help people in the future, and th- and that's what it really is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we are, we are, uh, this research is funded um, through the HSE's National Office for Suicide Prevention. It feeds very kind of clearly into our, our suicide prevention strategy where um, people who have been briefed by suicide are identified as a priority group. So there are very clear links there. Um, and there's, there's a real need um, from, from people working you know, in various parts of, of suicide prevention and for this type of research. And, and we hope that, um, you know, the effects will be very applied, you know, in, in terms of kind of improving our responses and, and opening up the conversation as well um, around the impacts of suicide. How do people access the survey? And there is a closing date that's fast approaching. Yes, so we're closing um, the survey at the end of January. Um, it's available online. And um, so you can go to... Uh, the website of the NSRF, so that's nsrf.ie, or you can go to um, the HUG website, so that's www.hugg.ie, and you can find the link to the survey. There's an informational video that gives some um, 
a description of what to expect. And there's also kind of um, a, a, a good list of, of supports and services for people who feel like they may need some additional help. There's a lot of information there if anyone is, is looking for it. Okay. All right. Listen, well done. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see the results of the survey. But Eve, thanks a million for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Eve Griffin, who is Research Fellow at the National Suicide Research Foundation. If you have been affected in any way by suicide and would like to reach out to that survey, please do. And obviously, if you have been affected by what we have been discussing this morning, the Samaritans are available on free phone 116123. 116123 and also the Irish Hospice Foundation they have a bereavement support line which is also a free phone helpline 1-800-807-077 1-800-807-077 but please make contact with the National Suicide Research Foundation if you think you can help out with that uh, survey or the organisation HUG that um Eve also mentioned um, it's H-U-G-G dot I-E. It's on their website as well and it's trying to get men to uh, reach out, uh, please. John Paul taking your calls at 0818103103 and there was a WhatsApp in earlier that I want to give a mention to. It was from one of our listeners says Hi C103 I got a new Google smart speaker from Santa Go you I've asked it to play C103 Cork but it keeps taking me to an American station from YouTube What exactly should I be asking them to play? Is it C103 point something? <laughs> Thank you I hope this WhatsApp makes uh, sense Okay uh, for My smart speaker is, in, is Alexa so for me it's Alexa play C103 I got John Paul to check because I didn't know what you meant to say for the Google smart speaker. So for a Google smart speaker, you say, hey, Google, play C103. So it's just C103 on its own. You don't have to put cork on it. On it. You don't have to put any other frequency on it. So for Alexa, it's Alexa, play C103. And if there's anybody listening at home with Alexis, hopefully your Alexa is popping onto C103 straight away. And for the Google smart speaker, it's hey, Google, play C103. 0818 103 103. We take a break. We've news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I'm smiling at some of the WhatsApps I had in when I was explaining to the listener who got a smart speaker at Christmas and she was trying to get the smart speaker to play C103 and I was very clearly into the microphone stating what needs to be said in order to start a smart speaker and I did say to John Paul I hope I'm not setting off smart speakers all over the place and lo and behold I did Yvonne was on to say thanks Patricia you've started C103 on my smart speaker and Carl says Thanks Patricia My Google Next Box heard you on the radio and started playing C103 so I'm hearing you twice now You got me in stereo And then someone else says uh, Well John Paul Could you ask Patricia to stop saying and I won't say it again mm-mm, play C103 over and over Firstly thanks because I was having a problem tuning in too but every time she repeats it it stops and starts again It's up and running now Thank you very much Glad to be of help And the original has the original texter, no, the original uh, texter hasn't come back yet to me because I have um, i don't know if they're, if they're listening or not because it was a text that came in after 10 
and have actually sent on written instructions to that person. Uh, Fiona was on saying thanks to tuned mine in too. So I'm glad that I was of service to people who got new smart speakers and helped them uh, to tune it into C103. Sure, what else would you be tuned into? Now, number of people reacting to my interview in the last hour with the Professor of uh, Chemistry, Professor John Sado from UCC, who is, feels that we should have a total ban on solid fuel being burnt in our homes. Uh, and he would go so far as to remove chimneys from homes. He does accept that it is radical, but he says, look, it would make a huge difference to the overall health of the nation. And he says if we're going to continue with chimneys, he would say go back to what they did in the 17th century where they had a tax. Anyone who had a chimney with smoke pouring out of it, you'd have to pay a tax. I could imagine the uproar and it would be a brave government that would introduce a chimney tax in this country. Anyway, Lee says we're keeping our fire and we're not going to remove our chimney for anyone says uh, Lee. Thank you for that. Lee calls into John Paul. Morris says, that man John, he probably has lots of money. We only have the option of an open fire. The fire heats our water. It heats our home. Our main boiler broke down and we didn't have the money to repair it. It was simply too expensive. We had no other option but to resort to the back boiler. The smokeless coal we now use is costing us more as it's more expensive. So everything seems to be more, seems to be costing us more. But we're sticking by all of the rules we are burning the smokeless coal we're not going other places where John had suggested some people might do if John could give us the money I would happily get a new system in but where do I get the money from I'm barely surviving on my old age pension and that's from Morris and, and I did make that point to John that there are people that don't have would love the option of having the cleanest form of fuel heating their house but not everybody is financially in that position. Dave in Rochestown says all of the new houses now are coming without a fireplace or a chimney. Our new home has nothing. Our home is warm but Dave in Rochestown says we do miss the fire effect. We have a fake fire to try to bring the effect into our new home. Billy in Bandon says listening to John he seems very well healed and he seems to be preaching to people who are already struggling. He says what I can't understand is all the Hypocrisy. There's lots of talk about climate change, but yet when you reflect on that, we're building two huge hospitals. One is the Children's Hospital, one is the Maternity Hospital, and we're building them in the centre of major cities. This will draw traffic, and all it does is create traffic jams. No matter what happens, they keep putting these large developments into the centre of cities, and that in itself causes more problems with carbon emissions. Why not build on some of the green spaces and the open spaces that we have in the countryside? Uh, for people living in rural areas and cut down on all of the uh, commuting. Patricia, thank you for that. And this is by text. Patricia, a lot of talk about banning fires in homes. Well, Patricia, from where I live, I can see the chimneys with smoke pouring out of it in the evening time or in the daytime. I think it's the nicest thing to watch, even if it's over a mile away in the countryside. It's company to see the smoke rising. This government have rules for us and then they break every rule in the book themselves, would not be in favour on a ban on it. Well, it, it isn't the government are suggesting this, as I say. It is John, who is a one of our foremost experts on air quality. And he says the reason if we were to ban completely ban burning uh, 
get rid of chimneys, get rid of all the open fires, get rid of all of the stoves. It would make a huge difference to the overall health of the nation. He's doing it from a health point of uh, view. And Patricia, on the banning of open fires by John on your programme in the last hour, he never mentioned China. Uh, China are building four to five new massive coal factories and they're doing it over the next few years and he's trying to stop a person in a home in Ireland with the only means of any type of heat of warming themselves one in, all in that's from John in Clonakilty so saying look to other countries to see what they're doing and Anne says what heating have we when the power goes off we have a gas cook cooker if that goes out all we have is the open fire for heating what else can we do says Anne so I haven't seen anyone in the number of texts and whatsapps and calls to the programme haven't had anyone which I could have predicted who is in agreement with John that we do need to do something about getting rid of chimneys in it's the amount of people that like it for just the comfort of it and outside of people saying that they've no other choice it's the cost factor it's certainly if the government ever decided to go down that uh, route then they'd have to back it up with a lot of grants to, for homes in order to retrofit their homes you know I mean going forward in another 100, 200 years it'll be a thing of the past because no new homes come with fireplaces or chimneys but for now we have a lot of families simply relying on them and Anne this is on antigen tests and the listener who contacted us by email who had bought antigen tests in a supermarket went back but they'll only give a refund on the ones that she had received for she doesn't have a receipt for all of them uh, Anne says to let that person know customer rights say proof of purchase can be a bank statement that can be proof if that lady swiped with her debit card she's entitled to a, a refund I heard it from a computer specialist yesterday I hope this helps says Anne well that's what happened Anne our listener had seven of the antigen tests unused she'd paid for three of them either on a debit card or a credit card so she had proof that she paid for it on that particular day but it's the other the other four that she paid for with cash that she doesn't have the receipt for and because as I explained there hasn't unfortunately been a product recall yet now if there is a product recall then I think that's going to be a different kettle of uh, fish John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103 you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Cronin's Electrical, they're recruiting first, second and third year apprentice. You need to email your CV to accounts at cronanelectrical.com. The Irish Pneumatic Services, they're looking for people to repair, servicing and installing industrial air compressors. Now it may suit a second or third year apprentice with mechanical or electrical experience. CV and a cover letter please to compressors at ips.ie or you can ring them at 021 4311249 and your international training they're based in Mallow they're recruiting a group coordinator CVs to Tara at yourinternationaltraining.com and an experienced childminder is required for three year old twins it's a Monday to Friday position it is in the children's own home it's in the Fremont area called 086 839 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. The Peter McVerry Trust, they're urging owners of derelict or vacant properties to get in touch and to help the National Housing Charity in providing homes to those in need. For further details, I'm joined by Francis Doherty, who is Director of Services at the Peter McVerry Trust. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, you have a number of housing units already here in Cork, but you're now looking for more. What are the ideal properties that you're looking for? Um, Ideally, we're looking for vacant buildings that will be, would lend themselves to be turned into apartments, um, particularly one-bedroom apartments or studios. So it tends to be larger commercial buildings or I suppose, for example, some of the projects we're working in in Cork City uh, would be buildings that were retail on the ground floor and vacant upper floors. And now the the shop is no longer operating or the business uh, owners have retired and the building is vacant. So we're taking back those buildings and putting them back into full residential use. So maybe we're getting one apartment per floor, maybe four or five apartments uh, in these older buildings in town or city centres. So um, they're the types of buildings. We've also, I suppose, our, our office in Cork uh, used to be the permanent TSB bank, and that was turned into a small regional office for us in five apartments. And similarly, we're doing things with old school buildings, uh, old pubs, um, any sort of old sort of commercial buildings, um, even post offices and stuff. So things that, you know, might have had a commercial use uh, in years gone by that have been vacant now for years, and perhaps there's, there isn't the appetite or need for those types of commercial buildings anymore um, they can play a part in I suppose alleviating homelessness or, or lowering the number of people waiting on social housing. And God knows uh, Francis there's a lot of those empty shops right across the county t- the city but particularly across the county towns and villages. Oh there are and like that's I suppose really what we're trying to do is if, <laughs> if you think of social housing provision and, and what's going on uh, there's lots of great organisations building as well as large estates or developments like those to uh, include and respond, those organisations can go into um, Cork or uh, Middleton or Yall and build um, a large estate on a greenfield site. Whereas what Fienwork Very Trust is trying to do is, is go in and sort of uh, deliver small developments of maybe four or five or maybe up to 12 apartments in a particular area. And by doing that, we're trying to regenerate buildings, deliver social housing, and, and maybe tackle two issues in in the one go. But like you're absolutely right, there's, there's sort of you know you drive through any large town uh, across Ireland and you see lots of empty buildings. The challenge for us as an organisation is a lot of those buildings are don't have sort of registered owners on, mm. on land registry. So that's why we go out and. And, and do these appeals because inevitably we get people that will come to us and say, well, look, we heard you on the radio. I have a building here um, in Cove and, you know, I'm not doing anything with it and I'd like to talk to you about, you know, what we could we could do or we'd sell it to you. And then the trust buys it. We work with the, the council. We go for planning. We try to get the, the building back into use as quickly as possible and we can get people off the, off the housing list. And you mentioned working with the council. You work. You very much work hand in hand with local authorities. Oh yeah. So like I suppose anybody that we house comes from the the council's housing list, and um, the vast majority of our funding for our projects would come via the the city, uh, our, our county council. And what we're trying to do is to to make sure 
were delivering in air, in areas where the council know they need the houses or the mm. apartments. Sh- the show, show me an area where they don't have a need. Yeah, that's that's true. I suppose they're just trying to manage and make sure there's not too much concentration of social housing in any one area because um, they're just trying to, to create that balance. And like the challenge for us is that, you know, take North Main Street as an example. There's, there's lots of vacant buildings on North Main Street in Cork City, but... Uh, for us as an organisation, we can't go after every single vacant yeah. building. We have to have a balance. And what we're trying to do is, at the same time, Patricia, is actually demonstrate to other people that you can do the do these types of projects with these vacant uh, commercial or residential buildings and bring them back into use. So there's nothing to stop, you know, a developer uh, buying these buildings and making apartments available for rent. There's nothing that, you know, there should be, I suppose, more emphasis on creating affordable rental apartments in city centres by reusing, reusing vacant buildings. And I think that's, I suppose, the next step in the conversation around, you know, uh, particularly urban regeneration, that there's a lot of talk about cost rental apartments, but they tend to be new build schemes on the edge of town, whereas we should be looking at cost well, rental. we have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the city and, it, and the, the one-bedroomed homes or the, the studio apartments, I mean, they're, they're, they're one of our biggest needs, isn't they? I mean, you know, I know, I accept that we need to build homes for families, but after the families, there's a lot of single people looking for one-bedroomed or studio apartments. Yeah, like the the single largest need on the social housing waiting list and within the sort of homeless community is one-bedroom accommodation. Um, but you know, anybody will tell you if you're looking to rent or you're looking to buy, there's there's very few of those types of units on the market. Um, it takes, you know. It takes a while for, for any organisation to build up a construction programme. So for the trusts now in Cork, City and County, we're, we're progressing sort of a small number of construction projects. So we will build our own new build in time. But in the meantime, we can use reuse vacant buildings. We can create studio or one-bedroom apartments. We can do it quickly. We can do it um, sustainably because that's the other thing with reusing vacant buildings uh, in terms of where we are with our climate emergency. It's a, it's a more sustainable form of delivery. So there's lots of reasons to do it, but absolutely you're right. If, if we're to tackle the housing waiting list and if we're to tackle homelessness, the only way we're going to do that um, uh and, and and get those numbers down is to provide lots more one bedroom or studio apartments. And for people coming out of homelessness, uh, Francis, do you offer ongoing support when residents move in? Yeah, we do. Yeah, so all of the the tenants in the trust would be assigned a key worker um, who would do visiting supports, telephone supports, um, and they would you know be making sure that the the people are supported to transition from an emergency setting into uh, their own home. They get set up, and then that that support is is there for for a lifetime if the people need it. Um, it's not something that's withdrawn. We keep offering that support to to tenants on an ongoing basis, and then we were property maintenance. We've all these different uh, supports in the background to try and make a success. But really, I suppose the journey for for people moving out of homelessness, the first step is to um, to get housing and to get that sense of security. And from there, then we're trying to build on things like community integration, back to work, employment. Uh, we've, you know, we have an employment activation person in the trust to try and get people into apprenticeships or jobs or, you know, courses with work experience and all those types of things. So, you know, housing is 
is the I suppose the cornerstone of you know progressing mm. and, and doing other things. So if we can if we can solve the housing question, we we're very much then looking at what's next. Is it, is it education? And maybe for some people, it's just about sustaining the house or the apartment, and you know that's success for them. But other people, you know, people go on to be. Uh, personal trainers, beauticians, people have gone oh, to Trinity UCD. You, 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 you must, know. you must, you must, over your time with Peter McFerry, seen incredible and heard incredible stories of people whose lives just completely turned around by simply being given the key to their own front door. Yeah, it is, and it's. Um, I suppose it's what keeps us going when you know homeless numbers are on the rise, and it's a very challenging time for for lots of people in society with with COVID and you know how long that's been with us. But seeing you know what what people can do and how they react to getting the key to their own door, um, you know, there's that sense of disbelief initially. Um, there, there's a sense of guilt for some of them that they've gotten it, and maybe some of their friends haven't gotten the, their own place to live, but. People really do make the most of it. People really do um, care for their homes, just as, as you or I would. And, you know, there's lots of really inspirational people that go on and do do great things. Um, and, you know, like we have a policy where a number of people within the organisation or employees would have come from a homeless background. And, like, they're going on and they're working with other people that have gone through the things that they would have experienced. Uh, and they're working to, I suppose, improve the lives of of those people in, in homeless services today. Brilliant. You're, you're an amazing organisation. Uh, you really are. And the other one that I really see, this is a win for the entire community because, you know, doing up vacant sites, especially ones that are in the centres of towns and villages uh, and cities, everybody benefits. Yeah, like, the, you, you take away antisocial behaviour, like, you know, so many communities we've gone into and they have, they've had issues with the buildings, people squatting there, people using it um, for parties, people uh, drinking their drug use, um, just, you know, an eyesore on the community. Um, so if we go in and take those buildings and we bring it back to life, you know, we're managing it. We, people know who own the building. If there's any issues, they can ring us. Whereas, you know, for many people, they don't know who... Uh, owns the apartment block next door or how to get in touch uh, if there's any issues where at least if it's Peter McFerry Trust you know straight away you can reach us and people can reach us night or day to, uh, if they have any issues but there's lots of wins you know and there's there's lots of opportunities and hopefully on the back of this there'll be more opportunities and more projects that we can deliver and get people out of homelessness in, in across Cork City and County. So any property owner uh, listening to us, uh, Francis, with a property that they think would be ideal, how do they contact you? Uh, they can call our Cork office um, on 2340711 or they can contact our head office in Dublin where I'm based, which is 018230776. OK, good luck with it, uh, Francis, and continue good luck to everybody involved at the Peter McFerry Trust. And thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much for the time. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Francis uh, Doherty, Director of Services at the Peter McVerry uh, Trust. As I say, I think it's a complete win-win because if you're in a town or a village and there's derelict uh, property in the centre and they're usually on the main street, I always feel for the shops or the homes or people living on either side of them, nobody wants to live beside a derelict or a boarded up uh, building. So I think this could be a real uh, win. And we wish everybody at Peter McVerry luck. We are now, would you believe, nearly two Two years living through a global pandemic and one Cove resident has decided to put pen to paper and has written a memoir called 
the year the world went wonky. Marion Rose Horgan from Cove uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Patricia, and uh, thanks very much for having me on. Well, listen, well done and congratulations to you. I take it this is the first book you've published? Um, no. No? Okay, my, apolo- my apologies. <laughs> no, back in 2004, I, did, I wrote a book called um, My Road. And it was, again, a very similar format of prose and poetry. Okay, but I love the reason behind why you decided to write The Year the World Went Wonky. It was to do with the birth of your granddaughter. That's right. That's right. My my daughter um, has four children now um, and she had three uh, three boys and the the joy of our lives uh, was born on the 6th of April uh, this year. Last year now, 2021. So I just felt Milsey... I suppose she, she she knew nothing about this pandemic. She knew nothing of what was happening around her. And as I say, she just brought, she has brought so much joy to us. And I felt someday it would be just such a joy to me to, for her to pick up the book and start to read about how her granny got through the pandemic and, you know, the reactions, the responses, the whole lot. Uh, I think that would make me very happy. Yeah, and what the world was like leading up to her arrival. And of course... Uh, Milsey, beautiful name by the way. It's a very oh, unusual name. Yes, it's gorgeous. Yeah, lovely name. Um, Milsey would have been born. It's a pandemic baby. Let's be honest. So all of the restrictions around maternity hospitals. Oh, very, very much so. And I was very aware of that as well. Um, my daughter was obviously her husband drove her up to the hospital, but he had to stay in the car. Um, and it actually was it happened the April 6th was quite a, a cold day and a cold night and he was hours waiting in the car oh. like many many yeah. many other dads and you know it was it was pretty grim and very and hard especially if it had been her first but she still found it a, 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 you know a fairly difficult experience and I imagine with the previous births Granny would have been up at the hospital to see the baby yes indeed of course <laughs> all of that is is, is oh, taken it was, away it was so different and so you know there was there was just a whole layer taken from us and robbed we were robbed of very precious moments and yet as I say that I'm very aware that of the of the um the safety measures that had to be taken you know um had to be done it had to, to be, be done, done. Yeah. and I, I loved your book by the way and it's it's, it's like picking up and reading somebody's journal it, 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 is that what you did when the pandemic started well, did you start to journal it, I did and it was a kind of an interesting little backstory. I think I mean to mention at the beginning I love writing as I said I, I, I write poetry for every single occasion imaginable birthdays anniversaries retirements I just it just seems to just to come out of me but it's 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 very, very enjoyable for me as well. It's a kind of a therapy. And it certainly was a therapy in those early months of, you know, the, the early weeks of the pandemic, say March, April 2020. So I actually took to journaling and did a little bit every day and trying to make sense of uh, right, something that we couldn't really make sense of, but we're doing my best to get it on paper. And after a while, I thought, and this is before we knew anything about Middlesey now, I thought, um, maybe, maybe sometime I might put this together and make something more of it. And as the months went on, I thought, yeah, that would be. I think it would be good. And then when I heard Jill was pregnant, I thought, yeah, maybe for this baby and for her other kids that are seeing the pandemic through children's eyes. You know, when they grow up and they're adults and they all have their actual copy of the book now, I thought it would be nice for them to see my version. So um, with that in mind, I thought, yeah, I, I, I think I actually went 
I was thinking about letter tech going because they were in the end they they helped me very much to publish it. And one day my my laptop was on the dresser in the kitchen and it fell. And with it all the files on my laptop which were not backed up and we all know we should back up. A lesson learned there. Oh, and yet I was amazed at how actually I, I how well I took it. I said, "Well, look, it just wasn't meant to be. It's maybe <laughs> maybe it's the universe <laughs> telling me something, you know." And then I thought again, well, we, we tried several people. To, we sent the laptop to Dublin and uh, another friend took a really good look at it. And it, they said, no. Funnily enough, there were two two entries on one file left. And they were the first two, two or three entries that I had done in March of 2020. And I thought that was really strange. Every, practically everything else was gone. So I thought, OK. And then I realized on my phone I had loads of poems and I, I, I walk I go for walks and I, I write poetry as I walk and I, it just never stops for me I'm, I, I'm really fortunate and blessed by whatever happens to me and I thought if I took the different poems at the different times you know of the pandemic and kind of sewed them together with with the bit of prose that it was the next best thing to have the actual journal yeah, well, you've done it. You've done it, and it's 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 achieved it. And it was funny reading back, as even though like it's a year, it's the first year of the pandemic. Um, you, you know, I mean, you know, you touch on things like which which I still scratch my head over the rush for us all to buy toilet rolls. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's things like that that uh, Milsey and future generations will say, "Why were they rushing out to buy toilet rolls?" Yeah, there was no logic, really, was there? <laughs> Absolutely not, and then and, and then coming to things like Zoom, like you, you know, you 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 went, you watched Mass on Zoom, you did your Pilates on Zoom. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not into technology at all. I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I struggle so much with it, and I thank my lucky stars I didn't have to teach through Zoom because I don't think I'd have lasted long. <laughs> <laughs> you would have. Uh, by the way, where did you teach? In Clostermoring. Okay, but you you were retired. Well, you were retired by the time the pandemic well, came. Just it was like an angel on my shoulder on on Ju- March. Well, maybe yeah, March April, um, nine, uh, 2019. And I just thought, you know, I've done 37 years of this, and I knew I had my writing, and I knew I had my grandchildren, and my. Um, I'm very lucky to have my parents alive, so I had a lot going on, and I thought, well, maybe I'll have more time for everything if if one layer is gone, you know, my job, and I that's what happened. You and took it early was just retirement. Like eight or nine months afterwards, this happened. Oh, well, the, the the timing certainly was right for you, and I the book was. also has photographs. Tell yes. me about the photographs. Um, well, I've always loved photography, but I think I became even more in tune with with nature particularly um, during the pandemic. And like everything got pared down and I started to walk and look at the flowers and look at, just I, I think I had time to look at things in a different way. It was like even listening to the bird song. I was more honed into these things. And I took my photographs and obviously were mounting up on my phone. And as I was thinking about the book, I thought, well, why not include those? Because they were very much a part of the 5K and that experience of not, going beyond it, you know, and yet there was beauty in that. And you were lucky where you lived oh, for your 5K. I so, I'm so lucky. I mean, we yeah. count our lucky stars every day here in Cove. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I remember thinking of the people when we were at the 2K and at the 5K, people that were living in the middle of, say, Dublin City. And I just 
thinking, good God, you know, trying to get her to get your exercise, trying to get, you know, it was just well, tough. I think, I mean, there the, the was a saying, you know, we're all in this together and to a degree it was true, but to a degree it wasn't because, yeah, it, the, the people's situations and experiences were very different. Yeah, and those that lived by the sea were certainly the, the very lucky ones. When you, Marion, when you look back on the year that the world went wonky, has it changed you as a person? Have you learnt anything about yourself? I, I always would have been someone that kind of looked inward a bit, but I think it definitely um, caused me to do that even more so and basically to count my blessings and realise how lucky we are to have every every day we get up and breathe and, and maybe to have something to look forward to. And that, that definitely was a feature of the pandemic that we just needed to look and think there must, there's going to be something here that's going to be make it worthwhile if it's sourdough bread, no matter what it is. <laughs> the banana bread. That stage. <laughs> did you do the sourdough? I did. I did. Now I, I have th- abandoned it since. Have you? But I felt it's like it was worth doing and yeah. it's like a, a, almost a rite of passage. Yeah, the, but the, I, for me it was the banana bread and then we got sick of that so we, so, so we stopped that. And, I, and it was, I also, when I was reading it, I was thinking, you know, at the start of it, obviously you know what way, it's a bit like reading a book about the Titanic, you know the book is going to sink at the end, you know what's going to happen. I wonder were we better off not knowing that time in March when Leo Varadkar made that famous speech from, what was he, he was in Washington, wasn't he? And we were led to believe it should be two weeks and it'll all be over. Were we better off not knowing? I've thought about that and I think I know personally I was because it was too big. Otherwise, it was just too much for us. It was like the number, the toll of the deaths. It was just there were things that were too just beyond our imaginings. Yeah, it was the same even going into this Christmas. You know, the previous Christmas, we had sort of the kind of the lockdown Christmas. We couldn't have imagined that 12 months later we'd be having a similar Christmas. Oh. And, we, and we were definitely better off not knowing. We were. And this, your, your book runs up to April of 2021. Have you, have you plans for book number two? It has been said to me, but yeah. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. I think I've been there, done that now on pandemic. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> but are you going to continue to write? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll never stop writing. I mean, whether it gets published or not, it's it's part of my life and part of, as I say, it's very therapeutic for me. Will you do, you have lovely poems in it. Will you do, have you one of the poems to hand that you could Well, do I have for the year the world went wonky. Yeah, please. That's the perfect and one And I've to added, do. actually added another verse for... Oh, have you? That's not this, in the book? This, yes. Okay, go on then. <laughs> the year the world went wonky. The year the world went wonky... We all went wonky too. We didn't see it coming. We didn't have a clue. We were busy doing what busy people do. The year the world went wonky and shook us through and through. The year the world went wonky, it really was so strange. We had to reevaluate, revise and rearrange. Things fell away around us and we were in a stew, like wibbly wobblies wondering what on earth to do. There were whys and there were wherefores. When? From whence? How long? So many crazy questions. You could nearly write a song. The year the world went wonky, we just didn't realise how a microscopic virus could upscuttle all our lives. We searched for things to cling to in a world of shifting sand. Within our 5K bubble, we tried to understand. So many wistful wonderings, so many moments spent envisaging a universe the mind could not invent. So many plans went west, but we had to stay at home, 
trying to bridge the distance through Zoom or mobile phone, but hopes on the horizon, the vaccines pushing through, and we'll begin to do the things we always love to do. The year the world went wonky, there was stretching of the soul. Maybe we've come to realise how little we control. I hope that we remember. I hope that we'll be well. I wonder will it change us? Only time will tell. Last verse. <laughs> the year the world went wonky, did we ever realise that two years on, Omicron would sabotage our lives? That PCRs and antigens would be the order of the day? And what we once called normal would be a world away. That's fabulous. Well done, well done. And I loved the one that you did to the frontline workers uh, as well. It's, uh, it's, it's gorgeous. They're all, they're all your poetry is, is lovely. Now, have you put the, I mean, you've self-published. Have you put it, out, put it up on sale or what are you doing I have, with it? I have. Well, it was awkward not having, um, uh, not having a chance to, to get it out there. Or to um, launch. Yeah, launch, yeah. Know, because I did that the first time and it definitely gives it a profile in, in, in a very, you know, initially it, it really helps. So I've just put it on Facebook. I've given out the number, um, my, my um, email address. Um, I can post. So it's actually 15 euros, the actual book. And then to post it anywhere is in Ireland is 350. Okay. And, and your husband never took to the man bun? No, <laughs> but my son-in-law did, and it was actually really nice. <laughs> okay, and I love the where we all got obsessed with hair dyes, etc. And people got used to dyeing their hair at home and waxing and plucking and pruning and uh, we all developed skills that we never even realised that we, we had. Did. Listen, it's, it, it's lovely and it just it brings it all back and, and, and hopefully this time next year we won't be able to say come on Marion, where's oh, book number hopefully three? Not, hopefully it'll know. all be behind us. Good luck, good luck with it. The year the world went wonky. Okay, a well, memoir of a pandemic from Cove on the Great Island. Thank you. And thank you Marion for joining us. Oh yeah, my, my email is Marion with an O, marionhorgan at gmail.com if anybody wants to contact me. Marion with an O, marionhorgan at yes. gmail.com. Thanks for that Marion. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining Bye-bye. us. Uh, good morning uh, to you. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A number of people saying well done to Marion Horgan for her book The Year the World Went Wonky, a memoir of a pandemic from Cove on the Great Island. Paula listening to us in Dungarvan. Good to have you along Paula said loving the sound of that book funny and uplifting and others saying that that uh, book we, it's something we all should have done was to journal I, I wonder did many people take up take to journaling or writing in a, a diary but it's a great record because God knows we will forget about it I mean that's why it made me smile when she spoke about the toilet rolls at the start of the pandemic and to me how that all started was it came from Australia they were one of the first countries countries for some reason they started stockpiling toilet rolls and of course with the way we live with social media and news reports from all over the world other countries got wind of they're stockpiling toilet rolls in Australia so suddenly everybody was rushing out and sure people bought so many toilet rolls they didn't have to buy a toilet roll for six months and I don't think we ever ran out of them but it was just one of those quirky things that we all did at the start of the pandemic. Jerry in Middleton also enjoyed listening to Marion talk about her book but Jerry feels at this stage as we're now approaching two years of living in a global pan- uh, pandemic with the new variant the Omicron variant being so transmissible. Is it now time to stop hearing about all of the daily COVID numbers? He said absolutely have them available and record them. 
But do we need to be hearing them every night on the news? We need to be slowly moving away and they're staggering the figures that we have at the moment, bearing in mind that you can't get, it's so hard to get a PCR test at the moment. They reckon that's only a fraction of the real cases. I mean, for example, I heard at the weekend, I think when the figures were at 23,000 or something, the cases, I think for Saturday, I heard an expert reckoning that the figure was probably closer to 67,000 for that particular day because there's so many people not able to get tested. People who are relying on, say, a positive antigen test, they know they have it and they're just staying in and isolating. But Jerry reckons we need to stop reporting on them because obviously they're still reported every day in the news. And I don't know, are people still it's kind of the topic of conversation every evening. What, did you get the figures for today? What were the figures for today? Uh, it's, it still gets spoken about in our house for sure. I don't know. On other houses, are people just trying to blank it out and just forget about it, bearing in mind that we have the highest figures now that we ever had in the two years of the pandemic. Now, back to the burning of solid fuels and getting rid of chimneys and getting rid of open fires and will it ever happen in this country. Martin in Mitchestown says, I haven't burnt coal in over 30 years years. I just burned dry timber. I feel they should have stopped the burning, completely stopped the burning of uh, coal. It should have been done many, many years ago. Martin says, if you're out on a misty night, you can smell the burning of the coal and you can actually feel it in your lungs. Well, yeah, well, uh, Professor John, who spoke to us on the programme this morning, that's exactly what he's talking about, the particles that's emitted from all of the fuels that we burn in our open fires. And he says it's doing untold damage to the nation's health and that's where he's coming from it. So I take it, Martin, in Mitchellstown, would you be in favour of giving up? Professor John wouldn't have you even burning the dry timber. Would you be completely, would you be willing to completely move away from an open fire? A lot of people are just not comfortable with the notion of having no fire at all. John in Donnerail says, I would put, a, I would put Professor John in the same category as that eco-man Duncan Stewart. All of these experts, are they doing what they say they're doing? Well, I imagine listening to Professor John this morning, I imagine he doesn't have an open fire. Anyway, John says, if they are going to do away with chimneys and bring in a tax which was what something Professor John suggested it simply will not work John says a hundred years ago they brought in a tax to anyone who had a house built with stone the only way to get away with it without paying the tax was to plaster over the stone so he reckons it simply would not work Barry in Bantry says the law should be ignored until all commercial businesses comply as so many of them are billowing out all kinds of smoke into the atmosphere from their commercial chimneys So until that's completely gone, there shouldn't be anybody worried about people burning tiny fires in their own uh, homes. And somebody else kind of on a similar vein to Barry and Bantry is Paddy by email. Says in relation, Patricia, with your interview with Professor John on the removal of chimneys and the banning of open fires. What does he propose to do with all of the pollution from airplane journeys? One airplane journey does untold damage in contaminating our atmosphere. The city in the sky has its own pollution. In relation to his remarks as regards education by everyone on this matter, I presume he's including all those associated with the airline industry. I hope he's taking on board Sir Isaac Newton's law of gravity. What goes up must come down. 
Thanks and happy new year to you. That's from Paddy. Many happy returns, Paddy. Emailing Patricia at c103.ie. On the burning of mortuary cards and mass cards, etc., etc., that came up yesterday on the programme, is an interesting one from Betty, who says, I was told by a very old lady many, many years ago that if you had old mortuary cards that you wanted to get rid of, what the older people used to do, pre-older generations used to do, they would sprinkle them with holy water then put the mortuary cards into a tray and then set them on fire say a little prayer and then burn them after that and it was okay to burn mortuary cards that way Uh, okay that's an old tradition obviously somebody else says listening to your discussion on about the mortuary cards if there was a local history society living near the lady who wants to get rid of the mortuary cards or a library, maybe they might have a, a genealogy service who might be interested. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. People tracing their family trees would love to have the information that's available on many of those mortuary cards. Yeah, that's a good point and one I hadn't thought of. Thank you for that. And then also referring to yesterday's programme, we were, I had invited Father Tim Hazelwood to join us on the programme. Now Father Tim from Killa was talking to us about, he's a member of the Catholic Association of Priests and he was, and it's it's a it's a discussion I've had with them before about the age profile of our current generation of priests. It's you know as he said he was recently at a retreat and and he in his sixties he said he was the young guy there that everybody was much uh, older and it's a worry and it's it's a problem that the Catholic Church is going to have going forward because we don't have enough young priests to take over from the older priests who are passing away are the ones who are due into retirement. But at the end of my piece with Father Tim, I asked him about his views on what the Pope had said. And just to remind listeners, this was a piece that broke at the weekend where Pope Francis said that to Catholics, not having children is selfish and diminishes us and that people are replacing children with cats and dogs. Now, pet owners, obviously, all over the world have reacted very angrily to the comments uh, from Pope Francis and it was during a general audience at the Vatican. They argued that animals, this is, the the people who have the pets argue that animals have a lower environmental footprint than children. They enable them to lead a life that is different but equally rewarding and they also compensate for financial or biological difficulties in having children rather than directly replacing uh, them. And then a number of people were on social media were pointing out that for the Pope to say it because here's a man who chose himself not to have any children and some people were saying was that not uh, hypocrisy particularly coming from an institution unfortunately that has grappled with the legacy of child sexual abuse. Anyway Mary has contacted us uh, to say about the Pope and his point on couples not having children saying it's selfish and it diminishes all of us. He said, why a man who never had a child, why should he be able to talk to anyone about children, having children or not having children? If the priests got their own house in order first, we then would follow with pride. We need God in our lives, but we don't need a man telling us what to do. Celibacy at the end of the day, says Mary, is a man-made rule because any good Catholic who reads the Bible can see for themselves that priests were married. The rule should be scrapped and if it was, you'd have no shortages of priests. No wonder only el- there are only elderly priests there at the moment. You know, no young man is going to go it alone or be asked to do it for the rest of his life. As for bringing in foreign priests, of course we should. 
What are we here in Ireland afraid of? If you go to Lourdes or Medjugorje, any time we went, we would come home filled with such gusto because we would have met the nicest of young uh, priests from all different races and ethnicities and they had so much to offer. We have only three in the seminary at the moment, not all in the one class. This has been the same for over the last number of years. Our Pope should open his eyes or we'll be buried without a priest. There'll be no baptism. And please don't tell me that deacons can do this. These men are married, so I rest my case. The Pope surely is contradicting himself. As for children in marriage, tell him to keep his remarks to himself. I'm a grandmother. I've got 12 beautiful grandchildren. Two of them are special needs. Lovely, lovely children. What would the Pope do about these special children? Women priests would solve some of these problems and married priests would definitely solve a lot of the problems that we have within the Catholic Church. I could go on and on as it's a very upsetting problem for us Catholics and we fear we will have no Mass soon. And what are we to do then? If we haven't God on our side, then surely we have nothing. Best of luck to our lovely elderly priests and we hope that you can serve us weekly and daily. But miracles do not happen today and when you are gone, we will end up having to paddle our own, our own canoe. God help us, but our Pope isn't helping today. God bless you, Patricia. And that's from Mary in Rathcool. Thank you for that, uh, Mary. Worried about, as a, a practising Catholic, worried about the Catholic Church and where we are going from here. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Ballonhasic Community Development Association they're holding a clothes uh, collection now it'll be on Tuesday and Thursday night from half six to 7.45 in the Marion Hall so it's on tonight and again this Thursday drop-offs can be made also on Saturdays from half two to four it's a fundraiser for the Marion Hall car park and we'll run up to the 18th of February. If you're having a clean out, keep Ballonhasset Community Development Association in mind. Bingo books for Kildallery Home Bingo. They're on sale from the usual outlets. They've got a snowball prize of €400. Uh, Euro. And Mornabi Ladies Football Club are hosting their Let's Play Bingo event online. It's this Friday night. It's Friday the 14th. It is. Starts at 8 o'clock. Books can be purchased online up to noon on this Friday. You can check out their Facebook and Twitter pages for more details. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Delane was on to us looking for help. She went for a walk on a beach in the last week and she noticed once she came home there was a very funny, awful smell was how she described from her shoes. She said any idea how to get rid of the smell uh, a week on the smell is still there. She said it's a strange smell. It almost smells she said a little bit like urine in a way and I hope you weren't on a beach where there was raw sewage but I'm wondering is it a beach where there was 
seaweed. You know, sometimes seaweed, you can get almost an ammonia smell from seaweed. Could it be that? I mean, I'm a great believer in bleach, but just be careful with your shoes and where you're spraying the bleach. But some of those spray on bleaches, well, I certainly think would get rid of it. But anybody else who regularly walks on a beach, have you noticed a funny smell from, from your shoes? And, and Elaine said it was last week, but the smell is still on the shoes, whatever it was she was walking in. If anybody has advice, you can call John Paul 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. More of your calls and texts. Liam Imbruff was on. This is to do with Professor John saying get rid of the chimneys and the open fires. He reckons into the future, because we know now all new bills don't have an, an open fire and don't have a chimney on it. He's wondering, are we creating problems for the future with the way new homes are uh, built? He said, when you think about it, houses pre the new planning regulations the ones with we all have our chimneys in it that has a draft in it he said we know with covid for at the moment air circ- circulation is so important could we be storing up problems for the future because the new houses are almost sealed completely with all of the triple glazing that you get uh, etc yeah which is a, a good point well only time will tell i suppose Liam thank you uh, for that on the burning of religious items a listener says I could never bring myself to do that. I've got boxes up in the attic of items belonging to my parents who have sadly passed away and they'll stay there for as long as I'm here, says this texter, who says, I also had a hard time putting my 2021 knock calendar into the recycling bin uh, last week. And I, yeah, on the religious items, it is hard. Yeah, I don't know. I Hand on heart, I don't know if I would be able to throw something like that straight into the bin either. And there's probably a lot of people have boxes up in the attic belonging to parents and grandparents that had, you know, a previous generation would have had the very large religious statues and the very large religious pictures that you don't see as much today but certainly previous generations would have them and there's an emotional attachment to them and because it's a religious attachment a lot of people I think would have huge difficulty in getting rid of them. I'm very lucky in that I've one sister who I would deem to be particularly religious and there was a, if there was any item like that we know we could give it to her and she'd hang on to it for safekeeping and I take it there's somebody like that in every household. Hi Patricia, I loved that uh, book, Mary book on the year the world went wonky says Hannah I also write poetry I've been writing poetry for years and yes I did keep a, jur- a diary every day and I've been doing it throughout the pandemic t- Pandemic, and I, I include what's been going on pandemic wise yeah I just think it'll make for interesting reading in years to come and then a final one says Hi Patricia would you let your listeners know please that I've just returned three antigen tests to Little in McCroom I didn't have my receipt and there was no problem at all with getting a refund. OK, well done. I don't know if, I know Dunn's was the other supermarket. I don't know if Dunn's, I don't think Dunn's are accepting them without a receipt unless you pay by debit or credit card. You'll have, you, they can find out through the bank that you've paid. But Little in McCroom, and I'm assuming if Little in McCroom are doing it, all of the other Littles are doing it. I don't know about chemist shops or other shops that were selling that particular uh, type of antigen test that's voluntarily now been taken off the market but there's somebody that's good to know Little and McComb giving the 
and that's good of them because there hasn't been a full recall it's only a voluntary rem- removal from the shelves so uh, well done OK let's take a break and we're back chatting with Joe Heffernan Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk Mother's Day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones Blue Nile has something she'll adore need it fast? most items can ship overnight plus enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And on this gorgeous sunny afternoon, we head to Boherbui where Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. I'm looking out at a beautiful blue sky uh, where I'm sitting. Blue. It's just gorgeous and the forecast for tomorrow is good as well. So it's it's great to enjoy it. And actually, this is going to be one of the tips we're going to give people uh, today is to get out. And when we get a good fine day like today to try and enjoy it, because you want to talk about dealing with stress. A lot of people will who've never suffered from stress before because of the world in which we're living in at the moment will say suddenly, I'm not coping very well and it's all down to stress. Yeah, and, um, you know, we've often mentioned throughout the, the, the bad years there last year <coughs> about people being a bit tetchy and about, um, you know, being um, being on a short fuse and all that. And I, I, I think that's definitely all down to, uh, well, to a great degree, down to stress. And um, so we need now, uh, heading into 2022, after I heard Marion on with you there earlier after the wonky years <laughs> um, that, uh, that that it might be a, a bit less wonky in 2022. And um, I suppose like one of the things that we badly need in, in our lives, Patricia, is meaning. That there is a meaning to our life, a meaning to our day. And, um, you know... Uh, I, I think a lot of us would have lost quite a lot of that uh, during the uh, the the bad years. Um, uh, many people were uh, suffering, I think, very much from, say, cabin fever, um, working from home. Um, uh, naturally, there had to be an acronym for it, so I was reading about... Um, WFH, and of course I was thinking, what's WFH? And then I copped on, working from home. Mm. So, um, uh, you know, the camaraderie of, of going into the office, just meeting people, um, just uh, walking out of an office into another office to say hi to somebody, to say a Happy New Year, to say, um, are you having a cup of coffee? I mean, 
um, they might sound very trite, but they're big things now. And um, so I think for anyone um, who uh, is back in their office that maybe, may, no, maybe working from home suited a lot of people. Um, if it did, great. But, like, we need to have meaning in in our day. And um, uh, you and me, we were lucky throughout the, uh, the, the pandemic. We managed to get uh, uh, most working. of our work done. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, yeah. we had a reason to get up. But even, even for people not working, you know, lives were turned upside down and people started, you know, you know, feeling stressful without, as you say, getting tetchy, getting you know, short fuse and not realising why. And it was because, as you say, the meaning went out of a lot of people's days. Absolutely. So we were talking last week about having a project. Now, a project could be just meaning something to look forward to. Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of people are having a look on the um, online about... Um, you know, holidays and things like that. Maybe these things are becoming uh, a little bit um, possible on our horizon now. And it might give us something, and there's lots of other stuff now, and we will talk about it, the first thing being beautiful weather today, out for a walk. But, I mean, something that we can control. I think that's what we uh, realised um uh, I think actually it was in one of Marion's poems or the one she read out um, that, um, you know, it made us realise how little control we really have. I mean, this minuscule little bug um, uh, suddenly took over the world mm. and every day was based on the numbers today, the numbers. And how, you know, that... Um, uh, it was all-consuming. All-consuming, it took over our entire lives. So if we can find a thing or two that we are in control of, I think that will be a big help, that we can feel that we are not at the mercy of um, what will happen to us today, that we could say, well, what can I do today, that um, instead of my life happening to me today, that I'll make my life happen today. Um, and it could be the smallest thing. But, um, and as so, you say, lovely, uh, weather, out, lovely weather today. Lovely weather today. So today and tomorrow. Yeah. So Brilliant. get out for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. It might sound a little bit simplistic, but look, it works. You will most definitely feel better when you come back. Um, is there a friend? Um we're like, what is this? Um, the, what was that millionaire show? Who wants to be a millionaire? Phone a friend. Um, but phone a friend can matter a lot. Um, uh, just to have an old chat. It might only... And maybe try to avoid um, the COVID talk all the time. I, um, talk about uh, other things. Yeah, I saw recently online something about a pub somewhere. And they had a jar... Um, uh, in the place, and you were fine. <laughs> Two euro you, for the c you, word. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when you I saw, COVID, you had yeah, to throw be, it. 
when uh, I saw it was this, it was like a swear box for the C word, yeah. and I thought it was the dreaded C word, and not yeah. the the other dreaded C word, swear, swear word. I said, my God, they're having a problem that people are using that word, and then I realised it was to do with the pandemic. So anyone that was anyone in the pub that mentions it, that mentions the virus at all, has to put two euro into the swear box. So I thought, what a great idea! What, what okay. a great idea! So, so I've, I've mentioned COVID a couple of times. You've got money into the swear box. Six euro already. So if you're going to meet up with friends. Yeah, find other things to talk about. There's lots more to talk about. Now, deep breathing for people who are feeling very stressful. You're a great advocate for this. Well, now, we've heard so much and there have so many books been written about mindfulness. But with the breathing, um, uh, if you can calm your body, your mind will follow. A lot of people have that back to front. They're saying to themselves, calm down, calm down. That really doesn't do it. What you need to do is get into the deep breathing. Now, by deep, it means the tummy expands as you breathe in. As I often say, if you, if you blew into a balloon, it would expand. If you breathe to your tummy, the tummy will expand on the in-breath. Then hold for a couple of few seconds and then exhale um, rather noisily, I find, helps me through the mouth. My method is in the nose, out the mouth. Other people will find that uh, the, the opposite maybe suits them. It doesn't matter once it works. So deep breathing. Now, we talked last week about the project, any old project. Um, and the lady you had on again, I mentioned her today, uh, the lady you had on earlier. Um, I, I might do a bit of writing uh, this year. Um I've been I've been setting myself up now and meaning to do it for about fifty years. So maybe maybe twenty twenty two is the year you're going to do it. Maybe it's the year. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, can I have actually, and actually have a manuscript with um, Cork University Press. Okay. That I'm waiting to see if they will publish it. Wow. Um, uh, but I yeah I wrote that back in the eighties. Okay, so um, you need to, and so actually, when you think of like it's and setting goals, um, you know, as you always say, make them realistic, and they can be small yeah. ones. Last week on our first program back this day, actually, last week, uh, we had um, our declutterer on our professional declutterer, okay. and there is nothing better than, and I mentioned it to you last week, I'm sure, there's nothing better than deciding I'm going to do a really good declutter, a really good clear out of a room or for us, yeah. for us, the ladies and for the men, a clear out of the wardrobe. And when you, when it's complete, get, you know, off you go to the charity shop, you know, so you're going to benefit a charity at the same time. But you'll yeah. feel fantastic. Well, my office, 2022, it's going to get done. Yeah, good I declutter. I I'm not going to set a date on it. But by golly, uh, some of the heaps of paper could well do um, with, a, with a tidy up. And I'd say there'd be a fair lot of them for the shredder if I only went through them, really. Yeah, but so, do yeah. It, yeah, it's a realistic project. Do it, you know, set that's yourself. on project, yeah, no, definitely. Do that's, one that's section. And, yeah, do, yeah. yeah, don't overwhelm yourself with it. Now, yeah. the obvious one... Uh, and it's, it probably isn't very obvious. If somebody's feeling very stressful and you're a smoker, oh, I light up a cigarette. Some people might reach for a drink. Some people might reach for a cup of coffee. They're actually all the wrong things to do if you're feeling very stressed. Well, the caffeine, um, in, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, there are some great contradictions uh, in life that people believe which are completely and utterly erroneous. For example, 
a cigarette to calm you down. Um, nicotine actually jigs you up. Um, so there you are. That's a complete contradiction. I had a cigarette to calm down. I, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's like putting petrol on a fire and hoping that it will help. The other big one would be um, alcohol. Now, down through the years, I would have spoken with so many people where the issues were either depression or anxiety or a mixture of the two. And invariably, absolutely invariably, people would have said to me that um, if I in any way overdo um, alcohol at the weekend, um, I really, really suffer on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Because, again, uh, uh, the opposite of, of the, the petrol and the fire analogy, um, uh, alcohol is a depressant. So if you're depressed and you take alcohol, you'll be more depressed. Maybe not instantaneously, there's the quick, quick lift, but then there's the following day with the big donor. So, especially for anyone who um, uh, might suffer from uh, depression and or anxiety, alcohol should be really out. It, 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 it does not help, and, and it definitely hinders. Um, and we've been reading, haven't we, um, uh, right through... Um, all this lockdown restrictions thing that uh, alcohol um, consumption has, uh, in many, many cases, uh, become a problem. Uh, I, I'm sure you've read quite a bit about that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, and it's because of the home drinking and people yeah. are drinking more because home measures and it's easier to drink more at home and it's led to it's leading to all kinds of, of addiction problems. Yeah. And and with the working from home, I mean, you couldn't be in your office and work with a glass of wine uh, on the desk. Um, I don't think that would go down too well. No. But no. at home... Um, so just see, keep an eye on the, the drinking. The glass of wine can be there, and who's to know? Yeah. Okay, and then watch what you're thinking. To try and try and try to kind of be hopeful. That's 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 a very important word, I think, Patricia, is hopeful. We we all send people stuff for the new year saying happy new year. Um, um, let's at least have a hopeful new year that we would say. Um, and, you know, it's looking good. I mean, you know, unless all the experts are completely wrong, um, we are heading into a time when it is legitimate to be hopeful that this thing will um, finally uh, be behind us. Be behind us. We, you know, oh my God, wouldn't it be great that, that life had come back to something um, uh, like normality. It would be wonderful. And then the last thing we might say would be like this. Um, if you are that bit stressed, if you need a bit of an OLG up of some sort or another, do contact um, uh, someone that you trust and don't be a bit afraid to say, or a bit ashamed to say, you know, I'm feeling really down. Um, I, I, I would have shared that uh, sentence now with quite a few people um, uh, recently, because I have been. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't a great Christmas except for the birth of our granddaughter Charlie, which was the bright um, star in our entire Christmas. But... 
Originally speaking, you know, one of the lads had COVID and couldn't come home for Christmas and you know, stuff like that. I mean, it was a very untypical Christmas here. Um, and uh, and uh, I think and we all felt a little bit down. Listen, so many of us will identify with that. I mean, I'm one of the big, I'm a huge Christmas person. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas decorations. I hate taking them down because yeah. the house feels so empty. I woke on St. Stephen's Day and I was lying in bed thinking, I think I'll get up and take down the decorations. No, I didn't. But I was just feeling, it just all felt so wrong this year and just didn't feel like the normal, I really had to work on getting into the festive spirit. Um, and it would, would it, it but it just fleetingly went through my mind. Oh, I'll just be done with it for this year. No, I didn't. I I, start, I hung in there yeah. to the bishop, and I didn't I, take I, him down to last weekend. But I but, felt the very same. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and a lot I, of, and a lot of people I spoke with, and it was good to hear from other people. So there wasn't just me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I we we took down the decorations. Mary wouldn't allow anything to come down before the sixth. Well of January. done, Mary. Well yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I I I kind of got to a point at one stage over Christmas where I kind of felt, what's even the point in going to all this, um, uh, putting up this and putting up that and putting up the other thing. Having said that, now I'm glad we did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and and please God, next year will be completely different. Okay, yeah. uh, we can look forward with some hope. Listen, mm. as always, a mine of information. Thank you for that, uh, Joe. Have a lovely week. Get out for a walk. And uh, get start cleaning that, tidying up that office. <laughs> and we'll talk next Tuesday, okay? God bless. Okay, uh, God take bless. care, Bye. take care. Bye. Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabwe. Joe's number is 086 And just a couple of quick texts in on the antigen tests that have been voluntarily removed in Little is one of the stores. Sandy says, Patricia, Happy New Year. Many happy returns to you. Uh, Re-returns in Warren. Little can tell by scanning the barcode what store and date items are purchased. I did not realise that. So maybe that's why they're offering refunds to people who don't have a receipt. Thank you for that, Sandy. And when we were talking about religious artefacts and holy objects and statues and pictures, etc. Anne says, Patricia, how many new homes have the picture of the Sacred Heart along with the red bulbs in their homes today. All of the old homes had it. It was in our home and it was one of the first things we insisted on doing when we put in the electricity. That is from Anne. How many homes have them installed uh, today? Uh, Well, I would say very few of modern homes, Anne, uh, for sure. And certainly in our house, you always knew when the electricity was back because the the red light and the Sacred Heart lamp would come on that was when there was power outages. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul for producing Nick Witcher of the Afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 